These are the daily lectionary comments for the first Sunday in Lent. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 4. So we're going to look at uh, Cain and Abel and the spread of sin in the world. And then Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 18, we're going to discuss fasting and the Sabbath and the Lord's relationship to both. Genesis chapter 4. The first thing that we need to observe here in these texts in Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis uh, concern what we might call primordial history. And particularly the texts uh, before the flood are, are antediluvial. I mean, before that's what that means, before the flood, concerns a world about which we know almost nothing. And the length of time that we're talking about is really indeterminate. Are we talking about several thousand years? Are we talking about several tens of thousands of years? We are not talking about millions and millions of years. That's, that, that's an evolutionary kind of a construct. But in terms of how the history actually went after the creation of the world, we don't know how many years we're talking about, but a lot of time is passing. What you need to realize is that we are told almost nothing about what is happening. We are given a few very brief snapshots, and this is one. We have this snapshot event between Cain and Abel, and then we have a little bit about about, uh, uh, the descendants of Cain. But, I mean, almost nothing. We have this fellow Lamech and what he says. We have no real context for this. There could have been hundreds or even thousands of years between some of these things that are recorded in in early in early Genesis. We have words of whole communities of people when you didn't know, but that there was just Adam, Eve, uh, Cain, and Abel, and then suddenly here's Cain, and he's going out and living among other people and worried about them killing him, which is just showing you that a great deal of time has passed. And many people are populating the world. Now, these may be all uh, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of Adam and Eve. But let's face it, if if you live many, many hundreds of years and are very, very um, uh, productive of offspring, I mean, you, you could be populating the world quite rapidly. So things are happening in the world about which we are told nothing. So what we are told, though, we're told for a reason. So the scripture isn't written just to give us a history of how things came to be uh, uh, so that we know all kinds of things that we might be curious about, the sorts of stuff that might be in a history book. It doesn't do that. It picks very carefully certain things that we are told for theological reasons. What we are told about Cain and Abel is for theological reasons. First off, you see that right away there is this impulse in human beings to offer sacrifices to God. These are sacrifices of thanksgiving. And Cain offers a thanks, uh, an offering of thanksgiving from the produce of his field. Abel offers a, a offering of thanksgiving from his sheep. And the Lord accepts one and not the other. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. And why he accepted one and not the other, it doesn't say. The point of the passage is not a discussion of what is an acceptable sacrifice, but it's Cain's 
attitude. And we see that Cain's attitude is very, very deficient. So his, his, his offering is not accepted by God. It doesn't say why, but very shortly we begin to see Cain becomes very upset. Not only upset, but seems to be deeply resentful. The Lord confronts him about his sin. The Lord warns him about his attitude. The Lord says, sin is crouching at your door, desires you. You must rule over it, okay? And obviously Cain does not. And he kills his brother Abel in an act of fairly premeditated murder. The Lord comes and confronts him. And what's interesting about the Lord confronting Cain is Cain's apparent um, total lack of, of repentance or remorse here. He's upset that his punishment is so severe. He, he's basically being driven off the land. Okay, His means of making a living was farming, and now uh, the Lord essentially curses the ground for him so that he, he will not be able to farm anymore. And that's why he says, I'm just going to have to wander. I have no way of taking care of myself. And by the way, I'm going to be murdered too by the first person who sees me, which uh, and, and, and so it, it's, it's Cain's total lack of remorse and his, his behavior following these sacrifices, which will tell us something about why the Lord did not accept Cain's sacrifice. Exactly what it was about it, we, it doesn't say, and it doesn't really matter. Now, the, uh, the text then follows the line of descent from Adam through Cain. And it goes down seven generations and it comes to a fellow by the name of Lamech. We don't know nothing about Lamech except that he had two wives and a very boastful person. And he boasts about things for which he should have been ashamed. Cain was punished for murdering Abel. Lamech boasts that uh, he'll kill a man just for hurting him. And, and uh, he's boastful about that. And what we're seeing here is the growth and spread of sin. That's one thing we're seeing. And the other is this line uh, from Adam through Cain is sort of, we, we, we get seven generations of that and then nothing more. So this is not the line that we're going to be following in the scripture. So once it gets to, to Lamech and Lamech's boasting about how violent he is and all of that, uh, we see that this is a pretty corrupt group. And, and the text stops there and moves over to the birth of Seth. So we're going back in time. Seth is born long before Lamech, um, and, and now we're going to follow the line uh, from Adam, from Seth. Okay, we're not gonna get very far in today's reading, we're only gonna get to Seth. But nevertheless, um, we, we just see this very, very brief little vignettes of, about Cain and Abel. It's telling us something about resentment between these brothers, the violence that, that erupted between them, the antagonism between uh, uh, Cain and, and God, and the ongoing spread of sin and curse and, and trial and tribulation here in this world. So that is enough for uh, Genesis chapter 4 for now. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. We have two issues that arise here uh, that are, are discussed back to back. The first is fasting and the second is the Sabbath day. We'll deal with fasting first. Um, uh, certain individuals were noting that John, John the Baptist's disciples fasted, which makes sense because John came preaching a, a message of repentance. And the Pharisees fasted, which was quite common among the Jews 
that they fasted for various purposes. And the question is, why don't the disciples of Jesus fast? Apparently they were not. And so Jesus' answer to the question is, how is it that the bridegroom, I mean, when the bridegroom is with you, you don't fast. Okay. In other words, it's a happy time now with Christ coming. Uh, and so why would you fast? It, we understand why John's disciples would pa- fast, because he is trying to prepare people for the coming of the bridegroom. But now that the bridegroom is here, the coming of the kingdom of God is sheer joy. We should not be fasting while the bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is Jesus. But he says, the day will come and the bridegroom will be taken from you. And in that day, his disciples will fast. So um, fasting is something that is assumed in the scripture that Christians are going to do. Fasting and and other uh, behaviors are designed essentially for self-discipline and self-denial. These are acts of devotion to God, okay? They don't, it's not like they're, they're good deeds that you do, uh, but, but they, are, they are acts of devotion, sacrifices of thanksgiving, uh, and, and fasting is appropriate for us now because Christ has been taken away and he will come again. But meanwhile, we are living in a world uh, filled with trials and we must beat down and subdue our own, uh, our own flesh. So uh, fasting, uh, one does it in order to soberly deal with the harshness of the world and the trials that we face and the dangers that we face. Why would you not do it? Well, we wouldn't do it when Jesus is right here. You don't fast on a feast day and we're not going to fast when Jesus comes again. But right now, there are times to feast. There are times to fast. There are times to celebrate. There are times to mourn. All right, then then the question turns to the Sabbath day. And there's a little controversy that arises where the disciples are uh, eating grain uh, on the Sabbath day. They're, they're plucking it in the field. And this was considered by the Pharisees to be work. You were harvesting on the Sabbath day and you weren't permitted to do that. And so uh, Jesus and his disciples drew a rebuke from the Pharisees. And Jesus responds... Uh, was uh, to to remind the people of the story of another instance where somebody did something uh, that was contrary to the ceremonial law of Moses, but was not punished for it. And that was David. David was on the run, he and his men, and they were hungry. They found refuge at a place called Nob. Uh, and the priests there, it was near Jerusalem, and the priests supplied David and his men with bread, but the bread they supplied them with was the bread that Moses had strictly uh, reserved for, uh, to be eaten by the priests alone. David and his men were not priests, but the priests in compassion gave David of the bread, so-called bread of the presence, uh, to feed them as an act of compassion. And Jesus points out that none of us condemn uh, the priests or David for eating that bread, even though the law of Moses said he shouldn't do it. Now, here we have a law of Moses that says we're not supposed to work. Okay, fine. But on the other hand, my disciples are hungry and they're plucking um, grains. And what you're doing is you are turning the Sabbath into such a, a cage of regulations that our lives are revolving around the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath being a means by which we offer up devotion to God. So Jesus says, a man is not made for the 
Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. And here's the key verse here. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. As I've been talking about uh, an important theme in the early part of Mark is Jesus' authority. Here we have Jesus exercising authority over not only the interpretation of the law of Moses, but the very substance of the law of Moses. He is defining for us what it is that we can and cannot or should or should not be able to do, rather than simply leaving it to what has been revealed in the law of Moses already. Jesus is uh, the ultimate word of God and trumps everything else. So we see that he is Lord over the unclean spirits. He's Lord over the illness and weaknesses of our bodies. He's Lord over the wind and the waves. Uh, and here we see that he is Lord of the Sabbath also, and he has power and authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, so that's uh, Mark chapter 2, 18 to 28.